Hey there, welcome to another episode of Block Talk presented by Theater The Now. I'm your host as always, Michael Block. Patreon is an incredible way for projects like this to get an extra boost. Visit patreon.com slash theaterthenow to learn how you can support the podcast. It's easy to do. And as always, follow us on Twitter and visit theaterthenow.com for the latest news, reviews, and interviews. I've taken Block Talk on the road, and I am at the Workshop Theater to talk to Joshua War. How are you? I'm great, Michael. How are you? I'm good. Um, we are here to talk about the new show you're directing. Yes. And let's give all the information at the top of the show so they know what we're talking about. Sure. So I'm directing Cindy Lou Johnson's Brilliant Traces at the Workshop Theater. It runs uh, Wednesday through Sundays. Uh, at the workshop theater, I just said that though. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> Wednesday through Sundays, uh, let's see, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, 8 p.m., Sunday, 3 p.m., and Saturday matinee, 2 p.m. So lots of options to see the show. Lots of theater. Yeah. It's like you memorized the schedule. I had to. You know, I made it. <laughs> so we are going to talk about Brilliant Traces. Yeah. But before we talk about the show, I want yes. to talk about you. Okay. So where are you from? I'm from upstate New York, a small town called Potsdam. Uh, we have we have SUNY Potsdam, uh, which is has Crane School of Music, which trained Lisa Roman and Renee Fleming. So like amazing, yeah. You know, that's my that's my cultural roots. They're, they're, so you're gonna be the next famous person. I hope. <laughs> uh, what was it like to live up there? Oh, uh, you know, growing up, I don't think I had as much appreciation for the North Country as I do as an adult. Um, you know, uh, I came out in 2000 and obviously, you know, obviously America and the world has made such leaps and bounds with sexuality uh, since I came out many moons ago. But, you know, growing up in the 90s uh, in a small town where you know you're different, but you're trying to fit in was a little bit, you know, it was a little bit disconnecting. Uh, but I had a pretty decent childhood. Yeah. Yeah, I had a pretty, a pretty normal childhood aside from... You know, struggling with that bit growing up. You know, I played sports. I come from a super loving family who are very supportive and um, student council president kind of BS. Look at that. <laughs> it's just list your entire high school. Resume. You know, uh, Hall of Fame. No, I'm kidding. You know, where did you go to school for college? Uh, Hobart and William Smith Colleges in Geneva, New York. It's private, like a private, like liberal arts little setting. What was that like? What did you say? I th- you know, I, I studied French and dance, and I feel that that was my kind of artistic awakening. Uh, I think college allowed me to explore so much of myself and so much of, you know, who I was becoming both as a man and an artist. It gave me, like, this un- unbound, like, freedom just to explore and experiment and I explored and experimented <laughs> I used to go to dance class with this pink eyeshadow on an eyeliner naturally but like in my high school lacrosse shorts and a t-shirt it was the strangest thing and what was the re- reaction to that I think my teacher always was like oh nice eyeshadow today Josh but she was like what are you doing <laughs> I just I, I I felt like the only way to um I guess find uh, my freedom and and kind of unleash the shackles of my childhood in that sense of like you know north country small town stuff was just to go crazy and go wild 
And how did you pick your majors? What made you pick those two? All right, so I, I had taken French growing up, uh, and I thought if, you know, that's a whatever I do in life, being a French teacher could be a really cool backup plan. Um, not that I'm saying French teaching is a backup plan. I just thought for me, uh, that was a possibility because I knew I wanted to be in the arts, and the arts is not an easy road. So uh, my parents wouldn't let me go to school for musical theater, and that's what I really wanted to go to college for. So I decided... Uh, that I would hide a dance minor underneath like a French major with like a poli-sci anthropology. Naturally. And I was like, oh, mom and dad, I'm going to go to school to be like an international lawyer or a politician or something like that. And then senior year, I was like, psych, I'm moving to New York. <laughs> so I had been dancing the entire time. You know, I was a modern dancer. So um, I had just been dancing throughout college. So and I decided that would be my minor. Yeah. Let, let's talk about your transition to New York. Sure. What was that like? What made you pick New York of all places? I think when you're in the arts, there's a few places that, you know, that that's your mind goes, this is where I could live. New York, Chicago, you know, Los Angeles, San Diego. Um, there are really wonderful cultural epicenters, but I wanted to be a part of the New York theater system. Um, this, you know, the New York theater scene is what inspired me to be living and leading the life I'm living and leading today. So... You know, I wanted to be a part of it. So I think it was a no-brainer all along that eventually I was going to move to New York. Now, being from upstate, did you travel to the city often? I The first time I'd ever come to New York was my senior year of high school. Oh, wow. For part of a senior, like a senior trip. Now, I had been, like, you know, in the fifth grade, I was a part, you know, I played hockey growing up. And so in the fifth grade, we went to States, and that was in Long Island. And so, like, I had been close to it, but I'd never been in New York until I was about... I think I was seven, 18 when that happened. And even before then, I knew, oh, no, that's a lie. Oh, I'm lying. No, we oh, God, I'm lying. No, 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 no. That's, I, sorry, I just had the biggest brain cramp. My first time in New York was in the seventh grade. And I came in with my parents and some family best friends to see Jekyll and Hyde. Of course. And then in the eighth grade, I came back to see um, Chicago. And then I was supposed to come back in the ninth grade to see Cabaret, but I, hockey, hockey got in the way of that. Wow. I know. I mean, what's very... funny is that it's my life story also. Hockey and swimming got in the way of yes. seeing theater. Yeah. Look where and we I, are and, now. And, and I, I literally said it will never happen again. Nothing will ever stop me. So when, when Cabaret, I, I, you know, I, I feel Cabaret has a huge influence on my life. The, um, you know, the, the musical. And obviously the movie too, but mostly the, you know, the 98 musical. And so when that came back, I was like, that's it. Nothing is standing in the way. I'm going to finally see it. Well, but, you know, New York New York was the place I wanted to be because it's such, it's such a magical place. Yeah. Uh, since you did mention hockey, mm -hmm. it is Olympics. Yeah. Are you watching it all? No. No? No, I've been, in, I've been in tech mode. Okay. Yeah, I've just been in rehearsal and tech mode. I go home and... If, if you had the free time to do it, would you watch? I think so. Yeah, I think for so. For me, I'm like a little bummed out that we don't have the NHL players this year. Uh -huh. But it's still fun. I enjoy hockey. I've been following, you know, there's that figure skater. Oh, that figure skater? You mean my like, future husband? What's his name? Adam Rippon. Yes, that's him. That's him. That's him. I've been following a little bit of that and the Mike Pence stuff, and mm -hmm. it's exciting. And uh, yeah, it's, it's like it's there, it's in the background. 
but I've been obsessed. You know, I've got, I, the, the free time that I've had to watch TV, I'm going to admit I've been watching the Queer Eye reboot. Okay, I have not seen, had the time to watch that quite yet. It's magical. Is it? Yeah, it's incredible. Do you have like a favorite um, cast member? Yeah, his name is Anthony. All right. <laughs> if you're listening, I'd like to go on a date with you, Anthony. Uh, I think he's from Canada, but he's the he's, he's the We can double line. date one with me and Adam. Deal. Done. done. Deal. Deal. Uh, why is theater important to you? You know, I think I think theater is so important uh, because it has the power to change lives, and it there is so much blood memory that runs through theater. Um, it is a way for us to escape and a way for us to continue the tradition of the troubadour. Um, you know, it's it's magic. The, you know, it's it's literally it's magic. It 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 changed my life. Uh, it inspired the direction of my life, and so I know that it has the power to do that to other people. So I feel like theater um, is a beautiful medium to explore and express humanity. Who are some of your biggest theatrical influences? Oh, God. Oh, gosh. Uh, okay, 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 okay. Growing up, it was Des McEnough. Okay. Uh, Big River is one of my, mm-hmm. it's my second all-time favorite. It's actually probably tied with Cabaret as my first favorite musical. Um, so that was a huge influence. Um, we had a thing, uh, we had a summer stock program in Potsdam growing up called Music Theater North at SUNY Potsdam at Crane. Um, and that was where I was basically introduced to all of these amazing American musicals and mostly American musicals actually. Um, and you acted in these? No, I just went. We had tickets. We had like, yeah, we had like summer subscriptions. And I remember like taking the show bills home and memorizing all of the characters and the... Anyone famous uh, ever come out of those shows? I mean, I, I, there are, people went on to Broadway, yes, but I can't remember names. But when the first year I was in New York, I was hanging out with a producer from Potsdam who produced MTC. Uh, MTN, MTN, that's what it's called, MTN, Musical Theater North. Um, and she, we were hanging out with this big group and she kept saying like, oh, this person did, you know, MTN, this person did MTN, oh, this person was in Peter Pan. And I was like, ah! Cool. Uh, I was like, it was like my own, yeah, it was like my childhood coming back. Now you're directing now, what other things in the theater world have you done? Okay, other- so I mean, I moved to New York as a dancer. Uh, and actor, and you know, I went back to uh, a serious acting conservatory when I moved to New York, the Maggie Flanagan Studio, and studied with Maggie Flanagan. Um, I've produced, and I've directed. I guess. I'm, Do you have a favorite? Oh, oh, that's you know, I've been asked that lately. I think that I think that um, I would say my top two would be acting and directing, and they're very different muscles and for very different reasons. I think that the directing is um, it's humbling because uh, once the show opens, it's the actor's show, right. and the actors are celebrated. Um, unless you're a dork like me and no other directors out there. You, when they're sitting next to you in the audience, you may not know who they are. Um, and as the actor, you know, you get you get to, you know, as the director, you tell the story, but you give it over to somebody else to actually physically tell that. Right. And then as the actor, you get to tell a story and embody humanity. So, like, they're very different muscles and they're different turn-ons. But right now, I'm enjoying the director hat that I'm wearing. Do you find that you can interchange the two, go from director to actor? Yeah. I, in fact, I find directing made me a smarter actor. Oh, Yeah. Yeah. That, that's interesting. Yeah. I think, I, I, you know, it, it encouraged me to kind of shed 
any of you know the second guessing and, and dive really really deep and then if start to ask myself the questions i'm asking the actors and i'm like oh it's been there all along would you encourage other actors to pursue directing in some capacity no even if it's just a reading no because then i wouldn't have a job all right, all right. <laughs> I, I see how it is i see how it is uh i no i have been encouraging a lot of people to uh to uh to try on the directing hat uh, I'm the associate artistic director of Ruddy Productions, another production company um, and theater company, and we have been doing a reading series all this year. And I'm the resident director of the company, but I've only directed one of our readings, mm -hmm. and um, we've had four readings so far. And so, I, and all of the other playwrights have been directing their own work, and you know, I think it's my it's my job as um, you know. A leader in a way to encourage other people to explore what has made me happiness and what I found freedom in. Yeah, it's great. Do you have any rules for theater when you pursue it? My rules for acting in general are really intense. Uh, my father uh, is he's a former professional hockey player and so his go his bar is set really high you know, he's the first athlete ever drafted by an NHL team from his college. And like, he's like, the bar is set really, really high and he coached me growing up. So I like to say I, I direct like he coaches, which is, you know, you have to, you have to respect craft and you have to res you know, you have to respect the, the process for it to give you the safety net and the support for you to fully live out something imaginary and circumstantial on stage. So I feel like my rules for theater would be um, craft the hell out of it. And the stakes better be so high, you're exhausted. I like that. At the end of every performance. You know what? When Ben Platt didn't want to come sign things, I said, you know what? If he's given 110%, don't you dart. You don't have to sign a darn thing, Ben Platt. You know what I mean? Like these it's not just acting you are you are embodying a spirit you are embodying a soul and you are giving it life and you are creating behavior that is that is it's elevated to such to such strength and height that it's you know it's exhausting in ways so let's move into brilliant traces a little bit okay um tell us a bit about the play so the play is about a woman named rosanna who's running away from her wedding day in arizona uh, probably is on the verge of a psychological break of some sort, um, or at least is thinking she is. Um, she gets in a car and drives until her car breaks down in Alaska. It's a and long journey. That is a really long journey, and in a wedding gown um, and wedding shoes. Uh, and she kind of accepts death, and then at the last possible second wants to live and is maybe second-guessing everything she's been doing for the past however long she's been driving. So she gets out of the car in this Alaskan snowstorm, a whiteout, and seeks uh, shelter in a cabin. And inside that cabin is a recluse named Henry, and he's running from life. And uh, the play is kind of how they both find um, cathartic release, or do they? Because it's very intense. What inspired you to direct this play? So the lead actor and my producing partner, Blake Merriman, approached me last summer, uh, summer 2017, about doing an informal reading uh, at his apartment that he had cast it, and he wanted to do an informal reading so I could hear it. Uh, and when I heard it, I was like, well, this is really interesting. 
I know many people who have uh, read this play and are connected to this play, and I was finally excited to hear it out loud. Um, and then afterwards, we were kind of chatting over uh, some whiskey, and he said, would you be interested in directing it? And I said, oh, okay. I, you know, I think most of my directing career, the projects have come to me versus me seeking out a project. Mm -hmm. So I'm very used to it kind of being presented to me and then me making the decision. So I said, sure, let's, <laughs> let's do this. And I had a production company. I have a production company. So I said, let's use Art of War to produce it. And I'll direct it. And um, all these months later, here we are. Amazing. Let's talk about Art of War Productions. Okay. How did you start that? What was the inspiration there? Oh, uh, I was going through um, a shitty breakup in summer of 2014. And I wanted to put my artistic energy to good use and i remember you know i have a lot of ideas and i've you know i've i've done a lot of cabaret work and so in my mind i was like well if i'm going to keep doing cabaret work especially i was developing a nightclub act that was all about that breakup love and war um and at the at feinstein's feinstein's 54 is it feinstein's or feinstein's i'm messing that up feinstein's Feinstein's 54 Below. There we go. Um, sorry, Michael. Uh, and so I was like, let me, let me start this company and then I can kind of use this as my umbrella producing company. And then I did art, uh, you know, I did Love and War at 54 Below. And then um, I was dealing with some health issues in 2015, 16, and 17. So the, kind of the company didn't really get a lot of attention. And so I believe this is the phoenix rising from the ashes. <laughs> and... Um, you know, uh, a little Jean Grey action, making it happen. Amazing. So what was what is your directorial process like? Oh, okay, so uh, the playwright's words are the most important thing to me. Um, I can spend an entire rehearsal on one sentence. You know, it's important for me, um, I find a script to be like a symphony, and you can close your eyes and you can listen to this music, you know, this beautiful music play. And, and, and when an actor doesn't understand a line or a word or an intention or their, their objective or, you know, their mission, it's going to sound like a wrong note in a symphony. Sure. And so my process is very much like, you know, music. Uh, I should be able to conduct this thing um, and hear all the right notes being played. And so that, that for me is a zoom in and zoom out process. Um, you know, I spend a lot of time on chunks of the play and then zoom really, really far out and let them run it. And then zoom back in and focus my energy on another chunk of the play and then zoom back out and let them run it. Um, so they're, you know, they're exploring themselves, but they're, you know, that it's at least being guided through what I feel the vision of the story that I want to tell is. And how are you with working with designers? Oh, that's, that is a thrill. Like, I love that part. Um, I'm a 100% collaborator. Um, and my process with uh, designers is very different than my hands-on process with actors. Um, for me, I like to bring an artist, a designer, onto my team and let them create. Um, I will tell them my rough sketch idea in my head for something um, or the tone of the show that I'm setting. And then I want to see, I let them just go wild and I said all right now bring me something um, if I like it great if I feel like it needs to be tweaked I send my ideas back and then they tweak it and send it but I feel like that's when a team works at its fullest capacity is when every artist is doing their art 
my art is the direction, you know? The design team's art is the design. I have no, I have no business telling anyone, you know, in costume design what a character should be in because that's not my world. I can certainly tell you, you know, it's the middle of Alaska. No, they can't be in a tank top. But, of course. You know? <laughs> but no, that's, that's the joy I like to see. I like to see their vision birthed. It's amazing. What has been the most difficult, most rewarding part of this process? The most difficult is that this is an incredibly hard play. Um, you know, I've, I've said to a couple people, this might be the hardest play I'll ever direct in my career. Uh, which, it's great if that means I get it out of the way <laughs> this early on. You know, no, this is a hard freaking play. Um, Cindy Lou Johnson um, really dug deep to create a piece of theater art um, that is kind of mixture performance art and dramatic art. Um, so making, you know, getting, getting the entire team on the same page of, you know, thematically and tonality, that's, it's, it's been tricky. It has been tricky. Everyone's been really incredible about it, actually. Um, it's humbling how much everyone has given to this project. And what's been rewarding? The outcome. Yeah. Uh, I walk into this theater every day and I look at the set and I, you know, I sit through the runs and I see the lighting design and I look at the costumes my, my costume designer put, you know, put them in and I, I see the actors doing the work that we've been blessed to accomplish in rehearsal and I think the end result is I think the most satisfying thing about this. We started this process in August with a table read and then in October planning our December, no in September planning our December fundraiser. And then the minute the fundraiser was done, we went right into rehearsals. And then the minute rehearsals was done, we went right into loading and tech. There's really been no time to process any of it. Now, once this is over, do you have like a dream project or a dream collaborator that you want to tackle next? Um, yes. I. There are some directors with whom I want to work, like Moritz von Stupenagel and Eric Schaefer of The Signature down in D.C. Um, and... If you know, and then there are there are projects of my own that I'm doing. I'm directing two plays coming up by the playwright Matthew McLaughlin, who did Orion last mm -hmm. year that you you came to, uh, and I'm doing a short film called Yogurt by Barry Lee Shepard. So there are some things, and then you know, this weekend I'm doing a read through of a short film that I might want to produce and direct. It takes place up in Maine. So there are some ideas on the board. Yeah. What would you say is missing in the theater scene right now? Oh gosh, oh gosh. Um, you know, I, 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 I can't say what's missing from the theater scene because I feel like the definition is constantly changing. Um, but what I can say is whenever I go see a show and somebody is not connected to their circumstance or they're not connected to their point of view, or I can tell there are holes in their crafting, I'm, I'm extremely at a loss for words at how that is considered theater. Mm -hmm. um, it's not for everybody. And it is for a serious artist who wants to put the time into craft and meaning and purpose. Uh, so I feel what's missing is me not working at, on a Broadway play. But, you know, beyond that, I can't, you know, I don't know. I, I don't ever think that I'm, I'm somebody who holds the magic the magic wand to be able to say that. But 
I think what what lets me down is when when the truth is not fully explored and when the when the truth isn't fully vulnerable. Yeah. Why would you say it's important to create your own work? Oh, it is. This is the one of the most oversaturated businesses I think on the planet. Everyone wants to do uh, what we're doing and everyone's trying to do what we're doing. And I think it's important to create your work for various reasons, like giving yourself an outlet, giving yourself visibility and publicity, um, exploring your craft and your purpose and your voice, most importantly, exploring your voice. Um, I think that my, my artistic voice has evolved through the work that I've been producing myself. So I feel a greater accomplishment with it, but I also have a greater voice going into, you know, um, larger projects that are not my own. How do you stay artistically hungry? I'm a Gemini. There you go. Uh, that's it. I'm a Gemini. Um, I, I never stop craving. I never, you know, especially if I'm, if I'm in a project, I don't sleep for a while when I go to bed. It's just my mind is racing. How do I reblock this scene or... How do I approach that line or how, what is, you know, what is my purpose and point of view in this moment? And so I think I'm always starving because, you know, I, rem I, I look back to the, you know, the Joshua of my, of my youth, the one who had to work so hard to get to where I'm at right now and had to fight so many battles and jump so many hurdles to even get here. I can't let him down. So I, you know, I think it's a mixture of, of um, a sick obsession, <laughs> passion, and me being a Gemini. Amazing. So we talked about creating your own work, mm -hmm. but I feel like the most difficult thing about creating your own work mm -hmm. is getting the funds to do it. Yeah. What tips and tricks did you learn from crowdfunding that you might want to share? Crowdfunding is a beast and um, it's it's incredibly effective. Uh, it's an, an incredibly rewarding. Uh, what did I learn? We hired a guy by the name of Justin Giddings, G-I-D-D-I-N-G-S, Justin Giddings, who calls himself the Kickstarter guy. And Justin's the leading crowdsourcing coach in America right now. So we spent, you know, a couple months planning. So I think the number one thing is surround yourself with people who believe in your project. Uh, we had a producer team of 10 people working on this campaign. So, you know, even though it's a cast of two, uh, and then I was directing, you know, and one of, you know, my lead, one of my lead actors was in fundraising with us. So it went from two people to 10 people. Um, and I, you know, you need to know, you need to know some of the secrets. There are, there are tricks to the algorithms, you know, there are tricks to the postings and there are tricks to, you know, content and what Facebook, uh, reacts to and what, you know, man, I learned that you can set tweets to tweet overnight and work for mm -hmm. you while you're sleeping. Uh, you know, I learned uh, that, you know, Facebook reacts to pictures and little text, you know, and, and the link always needs to be the last thing and it's got to be two spaces down. Like all these little bizarre things that upped our chances of our Kickstarter being seen on social media. It's, yeah, it's crazy. $34,000. It's amazing. We worked, yeah. You know, we had to do some silly things. You got to give back, you know, you got to give back though. Uh, you know, New Year's Day, we promised if we got to 50% funded, we would run from Times Square to Central Park in a wedding gown. And it was, I think, seven degrees that day or 15, 10 degrees that day or something. And we were in wedding gowns running through Times Square. It's amazing. It was humiliating. But you loved it. I loved it. You loved it. <laughs> How do you get an audience? Uh, you get an audience... Um, 
slowly but surely, you know, my, some of, you, you know, some of my earlier projects, um, before either, you know, the projects I had done gave me traction, you know, some of those were your, you know, people aren't, people aren't there, people aren't seeing it. Um, you know, the more projects you do, the more following you're going to get. And the more projects you do, the more respect you're going to get, hopefully, um, and trust you're going to get. So I think by now, the mixture of hiring, you know, a publicity team and um, uh, publicity is most, you know, that's the most important. We, we've spent time putting posters around the city and postcards around the city and um, meeting with people and inviting people and... Uh, so how do you get an audience is through time and a lot of hard work. <laughs> Absolutely. It's true. It's true. <laughs> they don't, it's, it's like, it's not just if you build it, they will come. If you build it, you got to pay and they'll come. <laughs> yeah. Do you have a favorite post-show bar? Oh, that's tricky. Oh, that's really tricky. I mean, if I'm at, if I'm at 54, it's going to be characters. You know, if I'm at... If I'm at Theater Row, it's probably West Bank. Um, I love Hell's Kitchen. I love Ariba, Ariba at Hell's Kitchen. Do you mm -hmm. know Ariba, Ariba? Of course I do. Yeah. Do you like the margaritas? Of course yeah. I do. They're so good. They're so delicious. But like you know, I would say I'm I'm a creature of habit. Um, I'm I don't know if I go to bars. I go to restaurant bars and sit mm -hmm. at the bar, and then have a little drink, and then I might get hungry. Yeah. How do you de-stress after a long day? Okay. Uh, I usually go home. Uh, I change into what I call my house clothes. Of course. Um, and if I have any alcohol, I will absolutely pour myself a drink. Um, I'm a little 1960s in that fashion. Uh, it is usually I like to sit in quiet. <clears throat> if that means I'm on my telephone or if it means I, you know, if I'm reading a book or uh, vegging and maybe calmly chatting with a roommate who's passing through I find that as I get older I get quieter and I'm very content because in my 20s I was I couldn't shut the fuck up <laughs> I just swore but you know I couldn't I couldn't shut up and in my 30s I just I appreciate the silence more I think New York did it to me because it's so noisy here it's true who is the one person in the entire world that you wish could come see Brilliant Traces Joan Cusack that was quick why is that? I, uh, I have worked so hard to honor the legacy that they created in 1989 at Cherry Lane. Um, that's not my sole purpose, but I have, you know, I've worked hard to honor it. You can't ignore the past when it comes back to haunt you. Mm. And I've wanted more than anything to breathe a kind of a more modern life into this play. And so it'd be really cool to share it with, you know, the lead actress who helped make it a standout. Yeah. And Cindy Lou Johnson, it would be really, you know, I mean, that's, I think, the biggest honor ever is the playwright coming to see your production. Um, and so I think that, you know, Cindy and Joan in the audience, and I'd, I'd get them some fancy champagne too, um, but Cindy and, and, and Joan in the audience would be pretty incredible. Yeah. If you could have a cabin in the woods, where would it be? I would probably say um, Montana. All right. 
so I could go di- like digging for dinosaur bones. Yeah, that'd be fun. Right? And if you could pick one person to be stuck in that cabin during a blizzard, who is it? Alan Cumming. Okay. <laughs> we could sing. Yeah. We could drink. I'm sure he'd have drugs. Probably. You know. Have you been to Club Cumming? No. No. This is, the, this is the strangest thing about me. Um, he's the number one reason I'm an actor. Uh, and I have... Uh, I've seen him in Cabaret. In fact, I sat at the same table with Juliana Margulies um, when they were doing The Good the good Wife. Good yeah. Wife, right? Uh, but I have stayed pretty clear of everything else Alan Cumming. I think it's subconscious. Are you scared of seeing him? <laughs> I think so. I think so. Well, we should go. So, like, we're not... going to go one night. Okay. Like, we'll find him. Okay, we'll do it. We'll do and it. I'll make you like say hello. I'll be like, hi. Biggest fan. I'm your biggest fan. So we're going to do the pop five rapid fire. Oh shoot! I'm so terrible at rapid fire. Five things you just respond, story, word, phrase, whatever you want. Okay. First is Sean White. The Olympics. Oh yeah, the snowboarder, the redhead. Yeah, he um, has some drama going on right now. I don't know it. Harassment accusations. Oh shoot! Of okay. Like everybody. Yeah. Uh, but he just won gold, so good for him. Okay. Number two is McDonald's removing the cheeseburger from the Happy Meal menu. Why? Oh my gosh, you know everything. Mm-hmm. That's what I used to get. I used to get the so cheeseburger. So did I, and that's, I feel like this is ruining what my child. I would encourage putting a double cheeseburger in there. So they're getting rid of it to make it under 600 calories, I believe, is the number. So there will be a hamburger, but not a cheeseburger. Okay. I'm trying to keep the kids Okay, all right, fine. Number three is Black Panther. Yeah, the movie. You, can, have you, you haven't seen it. Obviously. I haven't seen it, but I've always, always wanted to play a superhero. What superhero? Um, I mean, they'd have to create one because, like, there's not one. Like, I mean, it's like Storm, but I can't play Storm. No. I mean, um, you got, like, the goatee for, like, Gambit if you wanted to do something like that. Yeah, yeah. That. Just, I want somebody to make me a superhero movie. Let's do it. Let's find it. Yeah, we'll, we'll get, like, you know... Ryan Singer. Yeah, we'll make it work. When he's not, like, sleeping with half his <laughs> cast, and we'll make the movie. Number four is Grace and Frankie. Okay, uh-huh. I watched the first two seasons, and I fell out of it. And I've heard that season three was going to be met, and now they're on four, and that yeah. four is incredible. I haven't, I've, I've watched one episode of four so far. It's all right. It's not bad. Okay. Um, Lisa Kudrow I mean, was in it. But, like, what a tour de force of actors. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm just, again, I, I am waiting for Dolly Parton to just show up. Is she supposed to? Not, no, but that would be they, they have to with the three of them. That would be amazing. It would be great. And we'll oh, that would be like a little yeah. nine to five re- totally reconnect. Would. Yeah, I see where you went with that. I, I want it. That's want a throwback. Mm-hmm. We're going to get a little serious here. Okay. Uh, since we are 24 hours removed, the Florida school shooter. Yes. Yes. Uh, I was uh, lost in uh, tech and dress rehearsals yesterday. And when I came home... At like 11.30, exhausted after this day of creating, um, to open up Facebook and see the posts and the articles, and then today to see even more articles being written and the, you know, I, the, America is uh, divided and there's really no way around it and to sugarcoat it. And I have people that I respect in life saying this isn't a gun control issue, it's a mental health issue. And I have people I respect in life who are saying this is a gun control issue, not a mental health issue. And it's 
there's really never going to be a common ground. I, mean, I shouldn't say never because, you know, don't say never, but it's a very scary, there have been 28 mass shootings in 2018 and there's only been 45 or 46 days. Yeah. So those numbers are staggering. Um, I think we need reform on some things for sure. And I also think we need harsher penalties for people who are taking guns and, um, and basically tweaking them into uh, automatic, which you can buy pieces on the internet for your rifle to make it a AK-17 or whatever. Yeah. You know, there are, there are really kind of easy ways for these things to be done. And it's really sad. It's sad that we're so divided and it's sad that our Congress is bought by NR, the NRA and you know, John McCain is getting something like $7.3 million every year from the NRA and shame on you, John Absolutely. McCain, shame on you. Yeah, it's definitely time for change, and I had done, I produced a uh, dragathon in October to raise funds for Gays Against Guns, and I'll keep producing more events like that to raise awareness and raise funds. It's just disgusting and sad, and yeah. we've become, become numb to it in a way. I want to go to the next one. Yeah. I want to be there for that. Yeah. It is. We've, we, and we have become numb to it. Um, you know, I remember back to when Columbine was the biggest thing for a very long time, and now it's, it's like Columbine is every no, it's not. This multiple one is. couple times a year. This one was bigger. Oh, this one mm-hmm. is now the biggest? Yeah. Wow. Sad. But we're going to lighten things up a little bit. I have my previous guest ask my current guest a question. Oh. So this is oh. a question oh, from Tucker and Golden Delicious. Okay. Hi, Tucker. Um, this question is what time of day do you like to brush your teeth (laughs) oh okay i i I am not one okay if i'm dating i wake up immediately and brush my teeth and if i'm single i wake up and i usually chill for a while before i brush my teeth i do it as a part of my shower regimen um and so it's done during the shower so i mean there have been days where I've been up for hours and upon hours and I'm like, oh, I should shower. Oh, I should brush my teeth. <laughs> I should become a human. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So now it's your turn to ask my next guest a question. Oh, I have to do it. I have to do it right here on the spot. Yeah, any question you want. Funny, serious, anything. I want to know what his favorite Brussels sprout recipe is. All right. Let's, let's do it. Brussels sprouts. Yeah. I'm obsessed with them right now. Are you? Mm-hmm. I'm not a huge Brussels sprout person, but I've been doing like Home Chef and it'll be included. In yeah. Stuff. They're huge. They're yeah. huge for winter. Um, so they've been included and I'll, I've eaten them. They're not the worst thing. Put a little like, put a little bourbon and maple syrup. Oh, interesting. And Bacon? some like apple cider. Okay. Okay. And then roast them in that. Yeah, I, and some apple, and like you'll find you're right. like, what is happening? Yeah, I've been doing a lot because I like spicy food. I've been putting like some hot spices on it, and they're good. If he doesn't eat Brussels sprouts and he can't answer that question, he has to try Brussels sprouts. Done and done. I'll make them. So or she, whoever it is. Yeah, I'm not sure who it is. We'll figure it out. Yeah. Um, so if you've gotten this far, uh, use hashtag Brilliant Traces. Where can we find you on social media? Where can we find the show? Uh, artofwarproductions.com. Um, my Twitter handle is at A-O-W Productions. My, I also think that's my Twitter. I mean, I just said, so Twitter and Instagram, I think, is at A-O-W Productions. Um, Facebook, Art of War Productions. Uh, you can visit brillianttracestheplay.com for tickets. 
and we hope to see you at the theater. It's a really special piece of theater. Yeah. It really is. Brilliant Traces by Cindy Lou Johnson, directed by Joshua War, at the Workshop Theater February 15th through March 4th. Yeah. Thanks for doing this. Thanks, Michael. Thanks to Josh for coming on. Subscribe on iTunes or SoundCloud and leave us a review while you're there. If you have any questions or comments, drop me a line at theaterthenow.com via our question link. Until next time, I'm Michael Block, and that was Block Talk. Mm-hmm.